Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. Today, we take another journey to a galaxy far, far away as we attempt to spark the fire of rebellion as we review the latest Star Wars streaming series, Andor, on Normies Like Us. Freedom is a pure idea. They're so proud of themselves, they don't even care. I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy. They could keep us here forever if they wanted to. It's enough from you, Motion. Fight the Empire! You heard it up top. That's right, we're here talking the latest Star Wars streaming series, Andor, not Cassian, just Andor. If then, what, when? Uh, excited to be talking about this show and joined uh, today by your host. Um, how about Me Too, Emo? Because uh, this is a sad show. <laughs> this is uh, Jacassian Jandor. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I've got some bad news for you, Mike, about uh, our friend Colin. Uh, apparently, he was just out on the beach the other day and he got picked up by a uh, Imperial Patrol. Oh, says he no. wasn't doing anything. He says he was just a tourist, but uh, I don't know where he's being held at this moment. So, jeez, well, that's a bummer because we really wanted to have him on program. But someone we do have on program today, one of the co-hosts of the Cargo Bay podcast, good friend of the show, Adam. Uh, say hello, introduce yourself, and do you have a clever name, Cassie Andor themed? I guess. Yeah, hello. You can just call me Clem. <laughs> call, Clem. Me, call me Clem. Just call him Clem. There's a Virgo. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. Kind of. Uh, Kind of reminds me of FF7. I don't know why. Uh, Klim Hazard. But now Klim Hazard does sound like a cool character name. in that universe, maybe. And uh, there's a little bit of dystopia vibes in this. So I don't think they're completely unrelated, FF7 and, and Cassie and Andor. Oh. Um, but I do want to highlight um, Cargo Bay listeners, if you're fans of that show, they have just finished their Andor review series that released on at least the YouTube today. And uh, Jacob was a guest on the show covering episodes eight through 10. You guys want to mention, uh, you know, Adam, how that process has been going with review and any kind of uh, info about the cargo bay for the people back home. Well, yeah, do a, do a Star Wars exclusive podcast called the, the cargo bay. And uh, I don't know about reviews so much as just an excuse for me and my buddy BC to get together and talk about Star Wars things. Um, but yeah, Andor has been a delight. And yeah, I would say a highlight of that series is definitely the episode that Jacob was on, our, mm-hmm. on the prison arc um, mm-hmm. uh, literally. series of episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah literally a, a full arc. <laughs> on the water, yep, <laughs> for which well, there's no escape. And Adam, obviously you're a big uh, Star Wars fan, and anytime we talk Star Wars, it's good to have you on. I almost feel like you're our guest uh star wars correspondent or something <laughs> well, well thank you very much for having me on our, I, our I am so to be here ambassador as it were for all things yeah. star wars um no we're happy to have you um and i i want to ask i guess up top before we get into it, there will be full spoilers for Andor shows that just wrapped up um obviously this is um a prequel series based on character cassie Andor first introduced in rogue one uh, Adam, starting off with you, you know, are you a Rogue One fan? You know, some people say it's some of the best Star Wars. Where do you land on uh, Rogue One? And then we'll pass it to Jacob. Um, I like Rogue One more and more as time goes by. Uh, I just really had a terrible gut reaction to Tarkin. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess gut reaction is the wrong word. It, it was it was much more in my head because I don't think it looked awful. I was just like, oh, we're going to reanimate a dead man without his permission, like the permission of his estate. 
mm-hmm. instead of recasting uh, someone to fill this role. And that really bothered me. Um, so, uh, you know, since then, I've uh, I've softened on that a little bit. It didn't usher in the immediate apocalypse of dead you know, celebrities <laughs> showing up in our media. There's been some of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I do like Rogue One. Not my favorite Star Wars uh, movie, but yeah, it's it's growing on me. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And we had a couple more examples, like you said, of you know Mark Hamill, who's still alive, but we put his young face on a you know stunt actor's body. There's obviously Carrie Fisher in uh, that yeah, movie yeah. And, and things like that. Right. But the dam is not broken, fortunately. But with deep fakes, who knows what's around the corner? Um, Jacob, uh, Rogue One, where do you where do you land on it? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's fine. Um, you know, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I kind of feel that way about a lot of uh, Disney Star Wars. Uh, you know, with the exception of Last Jedi, which I actually loved, and then Rise of Skywalker, I actually hated. But other than that, like <laughs> every other movie or show or anything, I've kind of had just, eh, it's fine. You know, S- yeah. Solo, it's fine. Like Solo's grown on me a little bit since I first saw it. Uh, Rogue One, I want to say it's my second favorite Disney Star Wars movie. So that's a lot of, a lot of disclaimers, but, uh, <laughs> you know, after Last Jedi, it might be my second favorite. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. My, my second favorite Disney Star Wars movie released between the window of 2018 or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> right, it is. Right. All the qualifiers. I it was, uh, you know, trying something different. It was kind of like a, a war movie, like a more genre war movie. It didn't have the opening crawl. It didn't have the yeah. star wars music so it was trying something different which i appreciated yeah I, yeah I, one of my complaints when it came out was actually you know i like the differences but it was still the same arc of a star wars movie where like we're going to end on this big you know action set piece um yeah, split between a ground true. force and an air force <laughs> um and at that point in time i was like if we're going to get a spin-off star wars story let's go into a different genre i want a political thriller i want something you know like right i want something a little bit different um, and yeah the way that movie's structured it's like two you know it's like the first two thirds are like a slow build up and then the last third is just a big action set piece like you're saying yeah. similar to yeah. what we've seen in phantom menace and you know return of the jedi and rise yeah. of skywalker like like you said ground force right. air force yeah you know that whole thing um for me I, I i saw rogue one once you know in the theaters i wasn't like blown away i think it was fine um i had one with force force with me i, I did watch it after finishing andor and mm-hmm. while i like it better uh he's not a good character in that movie i'll just say that like i think he's much worse in the movie than he is in the show and i think uh, we'll get into that as we jump into the show here but not a crazy rogue one fan but uh i think we'll talk about whether we liked uh, what they did with the show i guess after this uh, when we jump into uh andor the latest streaming series uh right after this We got red leader standing by, or is that yellow leader? Gold leader. Gold leader is Adam, right? Wait, wait, why am I gold leader? Well, you like yellow, die? right? No, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you like I mean, yellow. Sure, I like, I like yellow, but I don't want to be in the all dead squad. <laughs> no, I don't either. I don't either, but we could reanimate you with bad CGI eventually. For a yeah, prequel that's true. Movie. Yeah. Um, 
We're back. We're here talking uh, and or the latest streaming series, as we said, prequel to Rogue One, uh, starring uh, Diego Luna. It's showrun kind of created by Tony Gilroy, obviously born identity, a lot of spy thriller DNA here, um, which we do see that in the show. Uh, Adam alluded at the beginning, hey, can we just have a different genre in Star Wars? And I think we do get that here. But do you have any kind of behind the scenes or, you know, the way they approached making this as opposed to other material worth mentioning? The kind of the biggest surprise to me is shortly, but I guess in between Obi-Wan and Andor, um, I watch Chernobyl um, and I don't mm. watch television in general. I don't really watch anything but Star Wars. I'm, <laughs> I'm not super like uh, media literate recently, um, but I loved Chernobyl. I couldn't stop. Ta- I binge that show in like two days and it's a really dark show to do that with, but I just mm-hmm. loved it so much. And I came away from that show talking about the production design, like everyone I could find, you know, all my friends to talk to, like, have you seen the show? The production design is incredible. It feels like so real. And uh, I watched the first episode of Andor and was trying to figure or the first three episodes was trying to figure out, like, why does it look so good? And my co-host on the cargo bay said, uh, Luke Hull, the production designer from Chernobyl, uh, did Andor. No and everything kind of clicked in my head. It was one of these things where, like, I loved Samurai Jack as a kid, and I wanted them to do a Star Wars cartoon show like Samurai Jack. That happened. They did it. Yeah. They did that animation <laughs> style as Star Wars. And this is the same thing where I just watched Chernobyl and was like, man, I wish I could have, like, Chernobyl but Star Wars. <laughs> and then it, it just kind of manifested. And there's a lot of yeah. Chernobyl crossover um, in this Still show. Skarsgård. Yeah, 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 and I yeah. think a lot of people behind the scenes um, right. too. So um, um, that's my one one uh, piece of behind behind the scenes info for you. Yeah, it does carry a lot of the tone and the the realism that people are creating this with. But uh, yeah, any, any anything you notice, Jacob, on setting this well, up before we jump into it? Yeah, I can tell you a little about the guy, the main man behind Andor, Tony Gilroy. Mm. Uh, like you said. He wrote for the Bourne uh, franchise. He's mainly a writer. He's directed. He's directed two movies: uh, Michael Clayton, which was a Oscar-nominated mm-hmm. uh, movie with George Clooney and whatnot, mm-hmm. and he did direct the Bourne Legacy, the most recent Bourne one, with his brother Dan Gilroy, who's also you know involved behind the scenes on the show. Dan Gilroy, uh, you might know uh, if you ever seen the movie Nightcrawler. He directed that. Oh. Um, Oh. Yeah, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, yeah. and that's a good. That's a movie I like a lot. Uh, and Tony Gilroy obviously also co-wrote Rogue One, but did not direct it. Obviously, that was Gareth Edwards. Uh, so it's interesting the right, you know, to compare the writing of Rogue One to this show because I think writing wise, this show is just on another level, right? Yeah, I, I think this show, even as a non-Star Wars property, is some of the best written. TV, I think it might be sliding into a spot very close to, you know, House of the Dragon and Cyberpunk Edge Runners for, for my top three of the yeah. year. I mean, it's very sharp. Uh, Adam, very how do you well feel about written, the writing? And I think, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just relieved. Um, I think the <laughs> I think the writing is, is excellent. Um, but I also think there are a lot of scenes in here that aren't wouldn't have come off well without excellent performances backing them up. So, yeah. like, I, I do want to give credit to the writing, but. Also, I, I'm just saying the writers put put some high stakes, you know, on these actors to pull this stuff off. And I think they yeah. did. And the cast has been, yeah, killing it, like you said. 
Um, I think, yeah, the big reason why the writing is so good is just getting someone that's not really a star. Like, I don't yeah. know Tony Gilroy's history with Star Wars. Maybe he's a fan, but getting someone kind of outside that circle of like John Favreau and, uh, you know, the brain trust behind Star Wars right now, getting someone with outside experience doing kind of like political thrillers and stuff, it gives it a different edge to it, I think. I can, yeah. I, I can tell you that, you know, he came in to Rogue One almost as a fixer. Um, he said that they completely rearranged that movie. Like it's a different story than it was mm. when it was shot. Um, and hmm. Disney was talking about doing a TV show or something. Anyway, he wrote basically a manifesto for Disney years ago about like, if you're going to do an Andor show, this is what you need to do. And they were like, no, we can't afford that for TV. Um, and we're not really interested in that right now. And then Mandalorian popped off. They made some money on that. And two years later, they were like, hey, actually, maybe we do want to do that. Um, mm. So he apparently in one night, you know, wrote this big document that was like, this is how you should do a Star Wars. Wow. Um, and his whole attitude is kind of like, I don't love Star Wars, uh, you know, and that's a good thing. And I had to get my I had to get my crew and my actors invested in like this isn't Star Wars, stop it. <laughs> like, you know, we have yeah. people on staff to make it Star Wars, but that's not what we're making. Well, I think you know, it's like at yeah, art. It's an interesting departure from what they've been doing with these shows like Obi-Wan, mm -hmm. Boa Fett, Mandalorian, where I like, you know, a lot of, I like a lot of certain things in those shows. I like Mandalorian a lot as a show, but I think the, the Favreau verse of like, you know, just, putting action figures of all the, all your favorite characters in like nonstop. Like it's yeah. nice to see something different, I think. And not yeah, all Star yeah. Wars has to be like this. I'm not saying that, but it's nice to see something different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think off pod, um, I, I was talking with Adam about just this show opened my eyes to kind of truly, truly the way Star Wars should just be a universe where you put other genres, you know, and I would love to have like a horror movie in the Star Wars universe. But this is it's definitely its own thing. I've been very into cyberpunk in those first couple episodes, like they're talking about corporate security and stuff like that's yeah. very cyberpunk to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, so so there's there's flavors of different genres, obviously Mandalorian being a little more Western. But this really takes us into a spy thriller world where, again, it, we're not making Star Wars stop it. It just happens to be yeah. dressed up like it. And I think that's great. And obviously um, this is about yeah. the creation of the rebellion that we know from uh, the original trilogy, obviously. Uh, so Rogue One was the story of of getting the Death Star plans, whereas this is the broader story of just how the rebellion all started. How did Andrew get really caught up into start. it? Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that this show was a little bit mismarketed by just calling it Andor? Because I don't think that's the best name for this show because it's not really a show that's all about it. It's more of a ensemble piece than it is all about Andor, right? You get these Mon Mothma scenes that are totally mm -hmm. unrelated to what Andor is doing. And I just think uh, maybe a different name because like when it was announced, everyone was like a show about casting Andor. Like, why would I want to watch that? Like, I'm not into that at all. Uh, but a, then prequel, I, a prequel that's it's been now seven years or whatever since it's been, right. it's been like five years since the movie came out already. Yeah, gonna go? and people weren't like exactly dying to see more of that character after Rogue One. Right. So yeah. are you quoting? I don't me? know. Call it. What if they called it like the, you know, ri the rise of the rebellion or something like that? I don't know. That's kind of generic, but just something other than just yeah, like they brand. did this a lot with like, you know, Obi-Wan is just called Obi-Wan. That makes sense because it's a show about Obi-Wan. But Andor, I just feel like he's not an important enough character to make a show around. And it's not really a show that's all about him anyway. But what do you guys think? 
Yeah, that's a good question because uh, I mean, I think the biggest problem they've had getting views on this is one people are like, that's a weird concept for a show. Like, right. even people who liked Rogue One sometimes are like, uh, that's a weird direction to go, like, and for a show. Of, it misrepresents um, what the show actually is, I feel like, in, until you watch but, it and understand what it is. Uh, but I think the other half of it is like with Obi-Wan, they have draw from the name. And I think they're just kind of floundering over like, well, how do we even tell people what it is at all? Um, I right. saw I saw someone, you know, propose, well, they should have just called it Shadows of the Empire. That's like a great name for this. No. You know, mm-hmm. show. But then would be people uh, would be expecting Shadows story. of the Empire. This yeah. Show. Um, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would call it. I do think Andor like isn't what I'd call the show um, just because I, I don't like named shows like that in general. Like I don't like Obi-Wan being the name of Obi-Wan. Ahsoka coming right. soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, this new trend. I feel like now, like the Picard show is just called Picard. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I would name, name it, but it, again, it is interesting for them to say, Hey, we're going to make a prequel for, a movie that's seven years old about not even the real main character. Like that would be Jen Erso. Like if yeah. you're really going to yeah. do something, Where's Jen like, Erso. We'll get Cassie and he was in like six scenes and really kind of uncharismatic. Like really, you don't know much about his past. You know, he has that little intro where he shoots his homie spoilers, but like you don't get a ton from like what's his background. And I guess from there, let's kind of break this into the arcs of the show because we kind of, again, yeah. it's, it's a Star Wars movie. So we have kind of the crossing the threshold. We have this intro where like he meets a mysterious old guy who's going to ask him to do an adventure. Then we have, you know, a heist uh, arc, which is kind of the first little bit of the adventure, the jailbreak arc, and then kind of the return to Phoenix for the, the actual rebellion part. And all of this is slowly getting Cassian from a fringe outsider who just messes with the empire to a guy who's actually buying in and fighting for the cause of the rebellion. So um, let's start yeah. with the intro kind of to the world, to Ferrix and Cassian and, and all of his homies and non homies and stuff. Adam, how, how do you feel the intro is pulled off and bringing you into this world? Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say these first three episodes are kind of slow. Um, I, I can see that if I hadn't just been so elated that we were getting corporate security forces and that we got Cyril Karn's arc, which to me is like, that's a better characterization like of someone than we usually see in three Star Wars movies put together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was nervous going into the show. I think the moment that I was kind of hooked in was they go into the, the show opens with him going to a brothel basically mm-hmm. where I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit like, okay, we're doing dark star war. Like, got it. Um, Bar. But immediately, the, the performances were excellent, even from the very small parts. And you've got the two security guards. They're excellent in, in those roles. And immediately, there's no kind of like... Uh, there's, there's, it's not, it's not slow to me in that we immediately get like, oh yeah, he had to kill that officer and he did like, mm-hmm. he did what he had to do. And now we're, we're on the lam. Uh, so I, I was mostly just taken away by like performances being good, um, scenes being set up well. Um, and the production design is really what took my breath away like all yeah. the way through. I was like, this is the best looking star Wars I've seen. Like this is yeah. amazing. Well, again, mm-hmm. not, you know, in comparisons are inevitable but to to compare it to boba fett and obi-wan earlier shows from this year uh the the production design is on another level i mean obi-wan a lot of that looked like they shot it on like the tatooine back lot of like you know 
Galaxy's Edge or something. Yeah. Where, whereas this see is the like volume this whole, almost. Yeah. They built this whole like self-contained city of Ferrix just for the show. And like the, the down to the details, it really uh, stands out, I think. Yeah, yeah, there's dirt on things and there's yeah. uneven like ground. That's something in Star Wars shows that's really started to annoy me is the floor. Like the, the ground is always totally right. flat outside. And there's what? a little bit of that at Ferrix. But no, there's dirt that goes up to the walls. Like it, yeah. it just looks it looks like a real place. I think Some it descending helps alleyways. Yeah. 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 It helps that it's not set on Tatooine, too, because I think we're all getting a little sick of just everything being on Tatooine, this planet that apparently is on the outskirts of the galaxy. But, you know, there's so many important people that but visit there all the time. It <laughs> right. still has a less defined culture than we get. I understand Ferrix now much more than I do Tatooine, you know, yeah. at the end of this. Totally, totally. Right. Well, missed opportunity. We could have learned a lot more about the sand people in Boba Fett, but we decided yeah. to cut that short. Um, <laughs> Ferrix, we have, so we go from sand planet to dirt planet, but they do a great job of setting up the world. And like, I, you know, I said, I'm into cyberpunk. So seeing that very beginning where it's like, oh, he's neon and in a weird brothel. And it's like, you know, some synth wave, you know, yeah. like in the soundtrack, which I do like, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I love I'm like, that. Here's something different we're doing with the framework of the Star Wars universe. And I'm, I'm on board. It, it doesn't stay that way the whole time, but just to have a, a taste of that was really nice but the culture of ferrix that's so well established like oh yeah they just hang up their gloves outside and they're like a community and no one's gonna jack your shit you know they look out for their yeah. own like, like even all the understand stuff about it. their you know their funereal customs and like turning you into a brick and stuff that's like that's super interesting all um, in all we're just another brick in the wall yeah that's right <laughs> but you know with this first arc i did think i'm one of those people i thought it was a little slow through the first two episodes i was into it but i could you know, in recommending this show to other people, I would just give them a heads up. Like the first two episodes, they, they're a little bit slow to get into it. But once you get to the third episode, once you get Stellan Skarsgård in there, I think that re- that's when it really hooks you. And that's how I, I felt. Uh, but immediately, yeah, I noticed that the writing was on another level. The acting was was really good. And I was just into it. And I mean, I've been excited for this show since I saw that first trailer. Where I was like, yeah, wow, they're really doing something different here. And I'm, and I'm definitely interested in it. The, the gong man uh, opened the trailer that was at the yeah. Star Wars celebration. You know, just him slowly walking up to the tower and warming up. And I was just like, oh, this is this is different. Um, mm-hmm. But I do want to say before I forget, I talk about all these areas in which the show is doing different things. Uh, for me personally, the action choreography in the show is much better and cl- or clearer, at least to me, than it was in, say, the Book of Boba Fett. Like the Book of Boba mm. Fett action sequences... So often I have no idea what's going on. Nothing feels kind of visceral about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, minus some small complaints I have with laser <laughs> laser sounds in the, the at the end of the heist. Like very specifically in that one scene, I think those laser <laughs> okay. sounds suck. Otherwise, like uh, that the end of that third episode, that action like is heavy hitting. Uh, it feels mm-hmm. like visceral, you know. Yeah, yeah a lot of tension there. Might be the uh, yeah, it's like the born stuff coming through with Tony Gilroy where he knows how to shoot those kind of scenes and he knows how to do tense thriller suspense stuff really well. And I think that really stands out in this show too. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you see a lot of other Star Wars, and I saw this on YouTube, I can't take full credit, but it's like you round a corner in the Death Star and there's a stormtrooper and you shoot him. Like, there's not a building of tension. It's a, it's like a jump scare. But in this, it's like you clearly know, okay, they got X number of people who are on this patrol. They broke into this number, groups of four. Here's what those two are doing. So you kind of have an idea and the tension builds and you know kind of what the score is as you're going through. Okay, is that three or four? Yeah. Is there one left, you know? So they do yeah, a good I job think- at establishing that. Totally. I think the attention to detail is just really stands out in the show where Mm -hmm. it's like the writing is very detailed, the blocking, like, you know, it's all, it's, it rewards the attentive viewer because, you know, they don't, you know, they stick to their internal logic of the show. And I think that is really good. Yeah. And at this point, the Star Wars of it is literally set dressing. Like this yeah. is just a, a general, you know, a general kind of pursuit by a police force. And this guy's on the run because he killed some some officers and stuff. But the Star Wars is just happening in the background. I think that actually helps it feel real. And I, yeah. I really appreciated that. It's a show that's set in the Star Wars world. But, uh, you know, a big strength of it is that it's not using previously known characters like Obi-Wan and stuff where, you know, their whole deal. You're just like, oh, Cassie Nandor, Yeah, he's in Rogue One. But. You're, this is a prequel to Rogue One, so you're just basically getting to know this character. Uh, and it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just really the, good. And this will be my last uh, cyberpunk reference. I still live in that world to this kind of very intro. But like when he's just running around, maybe people thought it was boring, but he's talking to all of his homies like, all right, I was at your house. And then we got in an argument. It's like they talk a lot about in cyberpunk genre. It's always about biz. And he's just running around handling biz with these guys. Hey, where's my money, man? Hey, can I get this ship to get out of here? I don't know. You still owe me. And this kind of active street level economy that, you know, you have to just deal with. Uh, cyberpunk is, again, high technology, low life. And Star Wars has always been the used future, high tech, low life, especially for the rebellion. And I think they capture that. And it's a great way yeah. to introduce Ferrix as an area and a culture. And you, you get it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And you get a little backstory on Cassian. He was kind of found on this planet uh, by his his adopted mom and dad. Uh, We see his mom, Marva. His dad, I think, passed away Mm -hmm. prior to the start of the show. And the inciting incident is actually oh, yeah. he's spoiler looking alert. For... He was hung by the Empire. <laughs> yeah, at the hands right. of the Empire. <laughs> yeah. Um That'll hold a grudge. And the inciting incident in this show, which I kind of forgot about, is he's trying to find his sister, right? Yeah. That's what he's doing at the broth. He's looking for his sister. And and they're both from Aldani, right? Well, I, no, I think they're from a different planet. I forget the name of it. But there was a forced relocation of their native people. And okay, yes, that, yes. that's what happened. Okay. Because so I was trying to, I, it was never clear to me what, if those people were native to Aldani or not and why there aren't any adults. Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have mystery around that planet, which I like. <laughs> like, I really yeah. liked being that's taken right. places in the show without everything being explained to me. <laughs> well, this, right, and this right. show really shows the growing imperialism of the Empire you know, taking over plants. Oh, this planet has this resource. Let's forcibly relocate or exterminate its native population. We're starting to see that a lot. We're starting to see the power of the empire kind of growing and people are kind of getting sick of it. Yeah. And, and I correct myself. Canari is the planet Canari. that he was on uh, with his yeah. sister. Aldani is, Aldani is, is for the heist, yeah. but we're yeah. seeing uh, echoes as we kind of transition into the next heist phase of the story uh, of what was happening on Canari, where these people are being forced located, their culture is yeah. kind of being stripped away. And we see that now um, on Aldani. Uh, on but Aldani. first, we, yeah. we need to 
get our guy Cassian recruited, which at first he's reluctant to do. He just kind of wants to keep his head down and, you know, keep, you know, slumming it. Um, and then we meet uh, Luthen, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. I think he's great. And he kind of pitches him. Hey, great man. character. Yeah. Do you want to do like give your life away slowly or give it away all at once to something that matters kind of thing? Uh, Adam, what, what do you think of Luthen's intro here and kind of his function in, in the story up to this point? Uh, I I'd seen the they released the a clip of the Luthen meets Andor scene in isolation mm-hmm. online before, and I was like, hmm, I I like this dialogue, but I'm a little worried about how this action plays out. Um, in the context of that episode, all of that is is really great to me. Um, and Luthen as a character, and, and one of the things that I like about this show in general is. Even our good guys have shades of gray or at least reflect yeah. what revolution takes in the real world. Right. Like mm-hmm. Luthen's going to get his hands dirty. People are going to get their hands dirty in the mm-hmm. pursuit of justice. Um, and like we immediately get that, you know, from Luthen. And then as the show goes on more and more so where it's like, yeah, this guy's asking for a lot. Uh, yeah. You know, he's he's uh, really he's an accelerationist. We're mm-hmm. seeing, yeah, a realistic look at what a rebellion would actively look like uh, with him and Sagarea. We're seeing like, oh, these guys are not, you know, they're not against sacrificing a small, you know, contingent of people for a greater cause. Like they know, you know, like you said, he's an accelerationist. He wants to rile up tensions in order to, you know, raise the rebellion in, in you know, all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and for for whatever reason, Cassian has made somewhat of a name for himself in in the uh, the ne'er do wells of of you know people who are messing with the empire and know how to get in there and steal some tech. He's like, well, I'm going to do a heist. Let's get a let's get a little backup. We need an extra man on the team, and I convinces him, hey, I'll pay you a ton of money. Just do this job afterwards, whatever you want, you know. So again, he's kind of in it for the money at this point. But Cassian agrees, and we go into the heist arc. I'm going to forget yeah. a lot of characters' names, but we have, you know, like Nemec is our uh, manifesto mm-hmm. writer. We have bad guy. If you guys want to help me out, I, there was a guy called we Miles have- Garrett with a mustache. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, we have uh I remember Vel uh yes. because and Cinta remain characters. Mm-hmm. Um yes. I'm forgetting our bad guy's name, eventual bad guy's name. We've uh, got bad guy who was in the Bear show. Uh we have yes. revolutionary guy who uh <laughs> That's is, Nemec, writing, yeah. is writing the uh manifesto Nemec. Ma- Mouse from the Matrix, yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Similar character. Oh, is that the same guy? I didn't know. No, no, no. But he has a weird hat and has ideas. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but so we meet the heist crew, and again, this is a whole thing. Uh, they don't trust Cassian at first because very late in the, the planning stages, and now we're on Aldani, where we do see more of the Empire tightening its grip on people. You know, they don't want to let them celebrate their cultural festival. They're getting moved off their native land. Some of their monuments are being used as target practice by the empire. You know, it's, it's, it's a bunch of crap, but they have a guy on the inside and they're going to try to eventually go and steal an Imperial payroll for like the entire sector. And that, that's the plan. Right. Um, Pretty wild stuff to fund, to further fund the rebellion. Right. Yep. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it costs money to, to, to rebel. And we'll learn, we're going to, you know, Mon Mothma is a part of this show too. And she kind of shows up in and out throughout these threads. Maybe in depth, we can look at that as a separate thing. Because yeah. we're, it almost yeah. feels like a different show, but I do like it. But heist arc, Adam, any general thoughts about this as we, you know, take over the garrison, get our ship and, and we kind of do the whole thing. Yeah, this is, this to me is maybe the, 
the biggest accomplishment of the show that it won that I like these episodes again, because I'm largely in it for the production design <laughs> like yeah. a lot of the time. And mostly we're, we're out in the woods and we're wearing like ponchos, um, you know, yeah. out in nature. It's not, it's not the most star Warsy, uh, looking episode but every single detail that is star wars like the old tech that nimic is using to navigate stuff and and Mm -hmm. mostly like what encapsulates these episodes and what i love about the show is we've got tense character moments through all of this everyone's acting their pants off um and then one tie fighter goes by and it's chilling (laughs) you know yeah oh wow this is so much cooler than a thousand star destroyers one one tie fighter is a million times scarier Um, and they gotta hide the weapons and all that great sequence yeah and the character interactions between the small group so you have vel who we later find out is mon mothma's cousin of course uh, we have different motives for, for why people are there. Some people are more just in it for the money. Some people believe in revolution and all that. And, uh, you know, casting, he's kind of being, uh, you know, influenced by Nemec, who's giving him, you know, this revolutionary theory. And he's like, hmm, yeah, starting to make sense a little bit. Um, and I just think it's a really well done heist. Uh, you know, they, they, Again, it's just very detailed the way it's written. They're kind of accounting for everything. They're like, all right, we've got this plan. We need to look like, you know, stormtroopers and all that. Um, it's just it's just really well done. And yeah. I I did enjoy Obi-Wan um, and I enjoyed the specific episode of Obi-Wan. It's maybe my favorite. But comparing this heist to I'm just going to swim up into the secret imperial base like i've been mm-hmm. so tired of storming the castle in a star wars sense that d- doesn't have any rhyme or reason or make the empire look competent at all compared yeah. to this which is like oh right i'm gonna be nervous the whole episode <laughs> right like, and like one great. mistake and you get made and then you're all dead like it's very like it's very specific that they have to blend in um and of course they have one of the guys i think the miles garrett with a mustache guy mm-hmm. is, is like a their man on the inside so he's like a stormtrooper or an officer in the empire and, but he's working yeah for, he's awesome you know against them yeah um Just really really good, really good stuff yeah yeah no it's it's um an exercise and again building tension like yeah one mistake and they're made that one tie fighter changes everything even people showing up late it's like oh god are we gonna make our window like it, it's you know it, it's really nerve-wracking and i think at the end it, we get the shootout when they finally get to um you know, the payroll and the, the safe and they're getting in there and then they, they got to try to prop up the officer. He's injured and they want to be like, no, everything's OK. Like, just <laughs> tell him to go away. But like, yeah, you know, he inevitably dies. And then that's again, we're ramping up this tension. And then it's like, wait, something's not right. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, yeah. Nimic is literally crushed by capitalism. Literally a pile of money. Um, we get. Oh, man. <laughs> That's yeah. Great. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool things in that. I give heist. you credit for that joke. <laughs> we we characterize our bad guys. Um, we give them a family. That's the other thing that I love yeah. about the show is is that fascists fascists don't have to be unrelatable monsters to be bad and deserving of death, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a fascist can be relatable and still be the enemy. Um, and so it's wild. We get this Star Wars show where they take a a family, including a child hostage, our heroes take a child hostage and presumably uh, Senta murders that family. Like, 
Yeah. I think that's absolutely what happens and why she's acting the way she is at the end of the show. Um, because they're not leaving loose ends. They're not leaving Andor. They're certainly not leaving. Right. You know, they're like, trying to kill Andor a just to stop him from at a certain uh, point. talking, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. They, they clearly it's, it's set brutal. up. Yeah, um, they set up Sinta's being no uh, no BS. You know, she, she's the one, probably one of the most capable yeah. fighters. Well, it gives you a realistic look at you know, a real rebellion. Like it's not all rosy. Like you have to make tough choices. You know, when you go against the status quo, people are going to get caught in the middle and, you know, they might have to be sacrificed and that's something you have to live with. Yeah. And, you know, Machiavelli's advice to young princes or whatever, sometimes you have to use the underhanded techniques to get the results because your enemy is going to, and like Luthan has a big speech about that later. But yeah, uh, I do like you mentioned, let's talk a minute about humanizing kind of the empire again, evil, bad, but you have this relationship kind of with Cyril and Daedra and you see how she's like, not just trying to meet quotas, but she also wants to like climb the ladder and like embarrass her coworkers. Like there's this hierarchy happening. Yes. Yeah. Like, different people in the empire have different like ideas and perspectives. And like, you see the infighting between them. Uh, it's fascinating. And like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen star Wars, anything that has, that feels like this real and lived in. And the empire feels this like overpowering and like menacing because they're just all encompassing, you know, and familiar and familiar. Yeah. There's a seed. I don't think it's in this arc, but uh, you know, I was thinking this the whole time, but at some point, you know, they're talking about getting, uh, you know, Krieger or getting the ship and they're like, oh, just kill him and we'll go in and make it look like an accident. And there's no like discussion of it at all. It's just like, yeah, this is a solution now. Hand. And I'm like, oh, it's the CIA. Like mm-hmm. it, this is like we're just like totally like it couldn't be a clearer line of like this is OK. This is things that we encounter in the real world. And this and- is how like yep. terrifying governments operate it's yeah it's and by showing the isb scenes like i think that's a really interesting choice to show them so heavily and like show what they're planning like i talked about this on the cargo bay um a show that this show reminds me a lot of is the show called the wire uh which was on mm. in the early 2000s it's about uh you know the the drug war in in baltimore um, but what that show does is it shows both the the gangs and the, the drug network in Baltimore. And it also shows the police and government people on the other side. It's all is the show is all about systems and like how they interact with each other. I think that's what this show does really well, where it shows you the Mon Mothma stuff, her trying to get money, like because you, obviously you need money to fund a rebellion like it, these, you know, you don't just get equipment out of thin air like you have to pay for shit so it just sh- like the way these systems interact and, and, and intertwine is just really interesting Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you see a lot of that kind of in this next arc, which is a really good segue. Good job, self. Um, because, you know, after the heist, you know, they, they do successfully pull off the heist. You know, they lose Nemec. And then there is that moment where the guy says, I'm just in it for the money. It's me against everybody. We were born in a hole and just learned to climb over one another. Cassian shoots that guy knowing that he's a bad dude. Um, yeah, which is interesting because I thought they were... Like that guy was kind of seemed like he was listening to Nemec, but maybe Nemec's death kind of broke him in some way where he's like, all right, fuck this. I'm just going to, 
you know, I'm out for myself only. I think he was just joking with uh, Cassian and Cassian shot way too soon. Yeah, he <laughs> took it too far. <laughs> he, he didn't give him time for the LOL. But yeah, uh, yeah. He, he is. Uh, they do ask him, hey, Cassian, do you want to join full time? And he's like, no, I'm taking my money. I'm out of here. Peace. And then he's just kind of hiding out on a sad, sad beach town and uh, gets picked up for a kangaroo trial, Adam. And that begins our jailbreak. <laughs> yeah. But it shows more of the way the Empire functions, which I think is something some of the best stuff we get in this show. Yeah, well, it's it's um, basically after the Aldani heist, they crack down on a lot of things, the Empire, right? Because they're like, oh, that's the biggest hit they've taken in a while. We're going to crack down. We're going to expand sentences for no reason. We're going to just be rounding people up randomly. And I think the ironic thing is that, you know, after pulling off this heist, he gets apprehended just randomly with, an, you know, living under an alias uh, mm-hmm. just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, essentially. And he's like, no, no, I'm just a tourist. Like, I didn't do anything. They don't care. They send him, you know, to prison anyway. Yep. Yep. We do get to see uh, the Alan Tudyk robots, but when they're not nice and they are terrifying. Um, yeah. Those security robots just throwing oh, people man, around. They're, so, they're some of the worst enemies in Fallen Order. They're brutal. Oh, man. Well, they definitely make them feel that intimidating in this. But yeah, kangaroo court, we see the Empire, as you said, having these extended sentences. We'll find out why a little bit later as we talk about this arc. But yeah, he gets sent to a prison colony, uh, which is THX 1138, you know, world, basically George Lucas's (laughs) uh, Mac commercial dystopia, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a great Easter egg. When they're so when they're rounding people up on that beach planet. Uh, I like how they're kind of like separating people and like sending them to different prisons. So like, oh, you're human. You go to Narkeena five. So we know that there's like a bunch of other prisons with different, probably different alien races and all. And just shows you the size and scope of the empire right now where they just have probably, you know, hundreds of different kind of prison complexes uh, where they're just keeping people indefinitely. Yeah. They put the Ugnaught table is really efficient. (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 the little, the, the little uh, torture machine oh they're the pig uh, guys um, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, an empire yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, I, uh go ahead i was just gonna say that that establishing shot where he looks out the window of the transport and you see the the giant prison cells or the prison structures yeah. with the whirlpools of water coming down i uh-huh. i have this thing where uh, i'm sure there's a name for the phobia but I don't love things that go down into deep water, like dams Mm. terrify me, you know, like the idea of swimming around. And I used to scuba dive, which is if I can see it, that's better. But like, anyway, that specific, yeah, with those big whirlpools coming down and just like the isolation of it was such a uh, chilling design to me. I was like, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) And we see that just one of those has like, multiple levels all with like a bunch of people so there's got to be thousands of people incarcerated by the empire right now just being held basically and it's all submerged under the surface like you don't see it from the top just how deep it goes literally uh maybe that's kind of the metaphor too and the crushing pressure of the water around you is almost a metaphor of the grip of the empire on these people's lives because you don't even get shoes here you don't even get shoes nobody even talks about it what was mm-hmm. he Keith, Keith Gergo even doing? Nothing. He was just wrong place, wrong time. And the funny thing is the <laughs> ISB is actively looking for Cassian Andor, but they don't know he's being held in an Empire 
prison under a different name. So yeah, they already <laughs> have wild. them. It's too efficient. But we do meet uh, Snoke here. We get Kino Loy. We get uh, Andy That's Serkis right. taking another stab at this. I, I love this character, Adam. How do you feel about old Kino? This is my floor. Yeah, I was. I was almost when I saw his face, and I was like, "Here comes Andy Serkis." I was a little bit like, mm, I, "I didn't need to see someone I recognized." I don't know if I'm the biggest Andy Serkis fan. And then by the end of episode one and then continuing forward, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect casting. And he knocks it out of the park, I think. He's um, a really good actor. And he's kind yeah. of known as the CG guy because that's how he, you know, obviously he did Gollum. He did King Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snoke. He did Mean Monkeys. Uh, yeah. Which is Caesar. what I call uh, uh, <laughs> Planet the, the, the new Planet of the Apes movies. I call it Mean Monkeys. <laughs> right. Um He's great at doing the the motion capture stuff, but when he doesn't, when his face isn't obscured by CG, he's just a really good actor, right? He's the master of face muscle. Yeah, but it's not like he's doing big facial movements. It's just he's able to show anxiety and tension like so well with his like eyes and a few little muscles around the mouth. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I thought he was. I thought he was great in this. A very interesting character who's like the head of the prison floor that they're on but of course he's also a prisoner like they just have one of the prisoners be the head of the prisoners for each floor he's kind of in charge of keeping everyone on task on program if you will Mm -hmm. uh and he's like i've got like 150 days left or whatever i'm trying to get out of here with no problems over the course of this arc you know cassian has to kind of convince him like we're not getting out of here like you know it's us against them one way out one way out right yeah but well, we learned that the way this prison is run is quite interesting where, yeah, they have multiple floors with multiple tables that are manufacturing things. We don't, we don't know what that is yet. And if you're the least productive table on the day you get punished, which is they turn on the electric floor and you get shocked and it yeah. sucks. So Top they don't have flavor in their food, right? Gets flavor in their food. You have infinite sustenance, infinite water because you want to be well fed and hydrated to work hard. But it's all kind of automated. There's no guards roaming. Yeah, it's very hands off. Never more than and it's 12. all because of this floor where they can just electrocute you through the floor anytime they want. Right. Unless you're wearing snowboard boots. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we call those hoth boots um, in universe. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that, that's kind of thing. They're very hands off and it's almost like the arrogance of the empire. Like, yeah, we'll just automate this thing and the, the machine will churn. Um, and it takes uh, until an event on, what is it, floor two. What happened on floor two? And then we realize eventually through the doctor one way or another, what's really going on here. But Adam, what's the sinister secret of the, the prison colonies here? Oh, man, they're just rotating prisoners back into the system, man. Um, yep. And... Uh, a part of me wondered, and I, I I don't think it is the case, but part of me wondered if uh, Andy Serkis's character had already been rotated once. And, you know, part of his gig is like, you shut up, you lead the team and maybe you'll actually get out. <laughs> you know, oh. like I kind of got that vibe from him for a second. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 fascinating that sign language they're doing like through that, like that's a great device and kind of like. It's a great way to quickly encapsulate like slow transmission of information through prison. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Passing a note, you know, so to speak. Well, it's they killed the whole floor, I guess is what I was supposed to say. Yeah, they <laughs> killed oh, no, the whole floor to protect, you know, anyone else finding out that they're just recycling prisoners, basically. But we also kind of find out that the Aldani heist uh, was the impetus for the Empire to crack down and lengthen sentences. And maybe they only started like 
re-releasing prisoners into the system because of that Aldani thing. We don't know if they were doing that beforehand either. Yeah, and yeah, you know they're yeah. they're clearly manufacturing something the Empire needs, so maybe it's also a means to ramp up production. Death Star parts. Yeah, yeah, which we do find out they're Death yeah. Star parts, which ends up having an irony. But like, yeah, Wait, did we find that out? I was just uh, saying that it's a post credit scene on the finale. Uh, yeah, but we said we see spoilers. You see them. Yeah, yeah. I missed that. I guess. So Andor it's just is a nice building the thing which effect. kills him later. Yeah in rogue one but uh you know and you know there's hints that like oh yeah krennic is diverting funds to his own stuff which we know he's you know big on building the death star and uh when you pull a whole you know quadrants uh quarterly salary you know we're gonna need to make up that labor somehow and we can't pay anybody to do it so maybe it's all tied together in that way but uh we do find out yeah nobody's getting out they're gonna release you put you on a different floor put you in a different prison and that's that and that's what gets uh Kino Lloyd to say, you know what? Yeah, one way out and we get our prison break. And I think this is my favorite yeah. stretch of the entire series. It saves them some budget because you're just kind of in these rooms. But I love yeah. they AHX. did build. They did build it build like it them. was alien. They just built the full set basically oh, yeah. and locked them in there. Uh, oh, I was yeah. thinking Beautiful. when I was watching this, I was like, you know, as I was watching, I was like, every arc gets better than the previous one. Like the, I like the heist arc more than the, the first one the intro mm-hmm. and then i like this arc more than the heist and then i like the finale too i don't know if the finale is better than this arc but i think it it you know and we'll get to that part as well but i think it holds up uh yeah you know, the whole series we get you know this this tension and then we finally get the jailbreak where they they um they they hatch a plan when they're going to introduce a new prisoner unfortunately how someone on guards? their floor dies and they know they're going to replace that person we know how many guards and they hatch a plan to flood the floor and you know break the elevator because the floor is inactive when the elevator they find clues and then uh climb you know they eventually uh overthrow their uh fascist overlords and uh and then we get a, a, a gut punch with oh, a and not not being able to swim okay <laughs> we get swim. a great speech of him though he repeats what cassian says you know do you want to die giving them what they want or you know some not to do that. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember the quote. And it shows the arrogance I, of the Empire too that they don't they basically like have a skeleton crew of guards at this place. Like they have one guard for like every hundred prisoners or something. And yeah. It's commentary and what's shocking about the show continually for me is like it's commenting on our prison industrial complex. Um yeah. and like how our especially when they're talking about like nobody on the outside even knows about this. Like they don't know yeah. how we're being treated. Uh, they don't care or they, they don't know. Um, yeah. This show, this whole show is really commenting on current political climates in America and in the world. And a lot of mm-hmm. people just think of the empire as like a Nazi, you know, they're the Nazis, but they're not just the Nazis. Uh, the, you know, they're British imperialism. They're American imperialism. Like it's every, you know, fascist government rolled into one essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That- and, Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that speech you were you were talking about, Mike. I yes. uh, I didn't love when I first watched it, um, and something like I'm I'm really resistant to kind of like emotional speeches, and there's a lot of that in this show, and it it pulls it off really well for me, and a lot of that is the score. And yeah. I'll say that once I learned that Kino knew he wasn't going to be able to swim out. I like that speech a lot more because the first mm. time I watched it, I was like, why is he so motivated to make this rousing speech right now? You know, like, why is he doing right. this? Like he's yeah. going a little bit overboard. It's like, Oh, well, yeah. if he knows he, he might knows die. A, like a giant water planet. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it felt a lot better to me or more. I think my more favorite uh, speech yeah. 
in the show has to be Luthen's Luthen's monologue when he meets the uh, the guy who wants the guy to get out on the inside. Uh, uh, yeah. The spy is that on our intermediate intermediate episode in between the the <laughs> prison so. arc I and I think yeah. it is. I think I think it comes at the end of the episode in between this and the the final two episodes. Okay, yeah. Uh, but he we see him meet with Sagarera between the. We had a little yeah, Forrest yeah. Whitaker cameo, of course. Well, we learned yeah. that they're all building something, and this ties back into uh, Kino Loy's speech. We realize they're all building something, as Luthen says exactly as much, that he's not going to get to reap the benefit of. Like, he's dying and sacrificing everything for a future he doesn't get to partake in. Yeah. Um, Saul Guerrero knows that. And what's the car? Are we willing to give up this pilot because they know that we're going to do a thing, right. so we can't go break it up or they're going to know that we know and uh and Kino knows that he's not going to get out yeah yeah they can't save everyone and they know that and uh what i love about these scenes with him and saw is it's showing it's 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 showing the way real life like leftist movements and stuff interact where you have you know different sects that have different goals maybe but the infighting can be so much at times when they really just you know, it would be better if they all worked together and had a united front. But when you have all these different cells, it's like really hard to get everyone on the same page. You know, they have different tactics that they may or may not agree with or methodologies, even ideologies, even though if they are leftists, you know, we're trying to get everybody yeah. on the page against a common enemy. Like in the yeah. real world, you have like the, the communists and the socialists and the anarchists. They all have different political philosophies, but they're all sort of united against, you know, the forces of fascism and that kind of thing right right the goths and emos can sit at the same table they just got to set a yeah. couple differences aside um but it, i do love that it underlines we have to do whatever it takes for a better future even if we don't get to be a part of it and kino knows i need to inspire these guys even if i can't swim out and i like that uh Cassian consistently kind of defers moments to other people. Like he defers, hey, no, you're the one to inspire these guys, not me. He defers to people on the heist plan, hey, that idea that you had, like he either doesn't want the spotlight if that's a character trait, but he's always letting people yeah. have a moment, almost like he doesn't want a moment. And I think he projects a kind of quiet confidence where it's just like, oh, this is a guy who like knows what he's doing generally. So, um, but just empowering other people, like I think, yeah. He's a great, he's a great guy. Love him. Yeah. Love me some Cassian. Um, <laughs> of course, also in this prison uh, arc, we meet another prisoner who is a character that was in Rogue One, right? Mike, you just rewatched it. Yep. Um, his friend, I forget his name, but. Melshi, I think. Melshi. Melshi. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And him and Melshi are the only two to get out and get back to the beach. Um, that we know then, of, yeah. Yeah, that we know of. And then they decide, hey, we, we should split up. Um we have a better chance to survive on our own. And that, that's what they end up doing. Um, and I propose, since we were talking about Luthen and a little bit of Saw Gerrera and the way this ties in, um, before we hit the rebellion finale, I want to talk a little bit about the Mon Mothma, the Coruscant, and a little bit of the political intrigue, because uh, Luthen's on both sides of this. You see him working with the rebels down and dirty, but he's also up in high society with his art gallery, you know, doing this and that. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, Mon Mothma, Luthen, all this kind of political intrigue, Adam, I, I love this stuff. How do you feel about it? This is when, when Disney announced they were buying star Wars, uh, my naive brain, you know, in college was like, Oh man, wouldn't it be cool if they did something that was like about the politics of star Wars, but actually good. Something <laughs> that I learned over time. One, 
Disney's not signing up for that to make their money back on the big new Star Wars. And two, that's really hard to do. It's hard to do political thrillers in the real world, much less like, let's put it in the Senate chambers of Coruscant. Yeah, Um, this is something I've wanted for a long time, and I cannot believe how well it's executed. Um, And I think Mon Mothma, I'm trying to commit her actual name to memory. uh, The Genevieve O'Reilly, Genevieve uh, Mm O'Reilly, who of course was phenomenal in this. Yeah, she was cast as Mon Mothma in the prequels, but got cut out to my knowledge. Unless she's she's in she's in the background a little bit, like she stands in a shot or something. Yeah. So again, like with the, uh, this reminds me of Uncle Owen, where they got uh, Joel Edgerton to come back for the yeah. Obi Wan thing. These small parts from the prequels where they get expanded into this. Now she's like a series regular in Andor, and yeah, she's just killing it. And one of my favorite parts of Andor is the Mon Mothma scenes. Just seeing the way yeah. she navigates politically, because obviously it's the Empire, but they have this kind of facade of the Senate. So she's trying to be just annoying enough on her public policy that it masks what she's really doing. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got a, she's got a very delicate line that she has to uh, walk because she, she also knows that she's being watched. She can't trust anyone around her because they might be, you know, Imperial, Imperial, uh, you know, spies or whatever, watching her and listening. Mm-hmm. To her. And we find the out marital limo driver. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we find out about her planet. Uh, remind me again of where she, what her planet's uh, called. Chandrilla. Oh yeah, Shandrian people. The Shandrian people yeah, they have uh, a custom of uh, uh, arranged marriages. So we learned that there's a you know obviously a big plot with her daughter, where this kind of scummy guy who's lending the money wants you know to his son to be engaged to her daughter. It's just so an alternative make- banking solution, you know. Yeah, <laughs> her daughter is into this weird kind of like culty stuff, right. um, or like, like traditional she can't even trust her own husband because mm-hmm. you know she doesn't trust him. And and that uh, was an arranged marriage that she had to be put into with that guy. And you see how well that's yeah. working out for her. So yeah. And as a politician, she's got to present a poised figure in public, but also she's working behind the scenes with the rebellion. It's just she's got a lot going on. And again, this reminds me of The Wire. This is like the political stuff. Uh, like the ISB is like the police scenes. Like it's just crazy how the, much this show reminds me of that show. Um, but yeah, seeing the Coruscant stuff, really, really cool stuff. Yeah. And then she's a cousin of Vel, who's, you know, going undercover is just a rebel, but turns out, you know, someone makes a comment, oh, just the, the rich girl playing it rebel or whatever. Yeah, but she's got to play the part of the the spoiled rich girl for a while to, to lay low. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love their, they have the scene at the dinner. It, it, the nuance of every scene in the Mon Mothma stuff is, is, so wild to me just because I haven't seen it um, in a lot of Star Wars or dumb sci-fi media that I like in general. Um, You know, like uh, just when she and Vel are sitting at the table and they're kind of making jokes that her husband doesn't like quite get. uh, Yeah, it's all it's all fantastic. And of course, the lead into us discovering this kind of Coruscant interactions and how Luthen plays in as we get the scene of Luthen on his ship at the end of episode. uh, I think it's the beginning of episode. two or something or i guess Mm. four rather where he goes in and does his little change you know he changes into his outfit the wig on and has to change the whole personality when that when that scene happened i was just so excited i was like man this is really this great stuff i'm here for it (laughs) yeah and uh 
the other thing is with Vel that I really like, uh, she, you know, one of the only openly LGBT characters that we've ever had in, in star Wars, really, if not, you know, there was like a brief, uh, there was like a kiss in the background. It couldn't be removed with a single edit. Yeah. The first, uh, yeah, exactly. This is like a character. (laughs) They don't make a big deal of it. They barely like bring it up. It's just part of who she is and her and Cinta are in a relationship and they, you know, it's never like, you know, look at this fucking representation, but it's just there. And it's just like really well done. Yeah, yeah, her, her and Cinta, you know, have a relationship. It's like being strained by like the pressure of the situation too. Like Cinta, I think after what maybe she had to do on uh, Heist Planet, you know, it's like it's, yeah, there's yeah. clearly some. But it's again, it's just you know, people can exist. Don't don't worry about it, right? But uh, so that's right. great to see. Um, and then again, the double life of everybody and the amount of double talk happening in these sequences when she's talking to her childhood friend who's helping her find a banker who meets the husband. There's all this. Yeah. Uh, double meaning and you can tell there's gamesmanship happening it's even though so there's a well smile written. on their face yeah it's it's, it's so wild. well acted and the, we me- i mentioned uh, uh tony gilroy and dan gilroy another writer on this show is actually bo willimon who was the showrunner for uh house of cards so obviously oh, right. a lot of political uh, mm. yeah stuff there um so just a really great team of of people behind the scenes i think also i wanted to mention the music adam you mentioned the music a couple times really good in this and uh, i'm a little familiar with the composer nicholas bertel who uh also does the music on the show succession which is a show i like a lot he did the theme song of succession which is a really uh catchy catchy song that i like a lot Mm. and um he's just nailing it and there's a lot of different tones that this show has to go for like it's got this the kind of synth wave stuff. It's got more like ominous orchestral stuff for the empire and stuff. And like, man, the music in this is so good. Yeah. I mean, as I was just going to say quickly, screen crutch pointed out that every episode, the theme song would have different different. instrumentation, which what is, what a nice touch, you know? So just even that far, you know, attention to detail, even on the theme song, you love to see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like a difference with this show compared to the Favreau verse, is the Favreverse, the stuff that I do like even, there's a lot of like, it feels like they're keeping it in the family. Um, and I know there's a lot of people, like they're, they're obviously people who know each other working on this. But uh, what I point to is like, oh, we got a lot of, you know, famous comedians to play bit parts in The Mandalorian or whatever. You see a lot of faces you recognize. Yeah. Where it's like in this, whether it was keeping it in the family or not, it feels like everyone who was hired was hired because they were the best for the job, like without question. Yeah. Um, and it just makes yep. the fe- the world feel more real and lived in that. You're not seeing a random cameo of an actor. You recognize every two seconds. Like I Even think the only- background extras are mugging less. They're yeah. like, like just when Mon Mothma's walking through the party, it would be so easy for like people to stick out. Right. But like the conversation seemed, it feels like everyone was like doing a job, <laughs> like doing it yeah. well, not being like, wow, I'm on Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only, the-, re- the only actors I really would recognize before, you know, the show started would be Diego Luna, Stellan Skarsgård and Andy Serkis. Uh, Andy Serkis. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a lot of like lesser known names that, that just blend in a lot better.
Yeah, I mean, even on the Imperial side, like, you know, Daedra and Cyril, like those characters stand out and feel grounded. I don't I don't recognize the actors from anything, but I think yeah. they've done a great job uh, with those performances and stuff. Yeah, even we Cyril's even, mom, you know, it's like this yeah. overbearing lady. <laughs> we haven't even really talked about Cyril's arc that much or Daedra. Yeah, so this is a good place to kind of put it all together before all the threads lead to, you know, one moment. But yeah. Marvis um, funeral. But he just, yeah. Cyril really wanted to catch Cassian because he really believes in doing a good job for the Empire, right? And uh, uh, he yeah. keeps not doing it. He doesn't know how to lead men it's a properly. Baby fascist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he sees Daedra being a, a, a big bad fascist. And he's like, oh my God, I love this woman. I'm in love with <laughs> you. Let's be fascist together. The greatest fascist love story of, of our generation. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah I've seen a lot stuff, of Adam? like. I've seen some really negative reactions to like, this is really creepy. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. He is yeah. like, Cyril is a creepy, yeah. like, to They're me, I, I understand, like, Cyril is relatable to me. He's, he is like a gifted and talented class kid who was mm -hmm. like, he yeah. told he was special his whole life and then hit the real world and realized totally. he's not that special, which is basically me. But like, that's, <laughs> that's my who like, thinks he should can relate more. People in our bracket. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a guy who thinks he should be doing more important things or believe that he can be contributing more and he's just being beaten down by life in a way that he feels is unfair. And he's like, no, I really want to like be fascist with the empire, but they won't let me. <laughs> Even his mom shit talks. My, you know, you got it. Did a bad job again. Let me call in a favor for you, you piece of shit. And he's like, you almost feel bad <laughs> for him. But I kept yeah. waiting if he wasn't a fascist, that is. But I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop and maybe in season two. But I kept seeing that pattern. It's like, dog, you keep getting rejected and abused by the empire. At what point are you going to say, fuck it and switch sides? Who knows yeah. if you'll see that? But I kept waiting for that. But then it really seemed like he was ready to smooch Daedra. So he still seems very much down for the cause unfortunately but i love this character yeah. he's, he's fascinating and his neurosis yeah. i guess and his his opening arc of his failure um mm -hmm. is really like it's really a you know it's watching him stand in the street and realize that he's gotten his men killed and all that is is beautiful um and and his now, failure, is a failure too they yeah. both mm -hmm. failed in getting andor she you know took a force to go investigate and things went crazy again so like yeah i'm but excited to see his, where uh, they pick up yeah his his big his starting failure was being too you know enthusiastic and too overzealous and outstepping his bounds and going above like his superior you know officers orders uh, uh which just, i love that just, guy by the way shout out to the the his superior officer in the beginning of the show that that oh, scene yeah. where he's like did you alter your uniform like <laughs> chill mm -hmm. out that guy probably got into Taylor. trouble and he probably deserved to die <laughs> like thinking on this yeah like also, he got into something the, he uh, shout out to the scottish guy that is like serial's friend he's like come on yeah let's, yeah <laughs> let's get those oh, boots sorry, on the another thing that feels very real yeah, um, it's like uh, when we were watching that, uh, my fiance was like, that guy is it. There's always that guy. Like you got the one guy who's like really wants to be, you know, this this jerk who's like leading the charge. And there's the more insidious one, maybe is the one who's like boosts him and is the yeah. cheerleader. <laughs> like It's like, yeah, right. it's mm -hmm. a real dynamic. Like, you got the sure. idea. Come on. We can be fascist together. Yeah. yeah. But, the, but then. But then to also see yeah, the guy who's like, yeah, don't don't modify your uniform. Like, just like I'm collecting a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the guy who's just like, I really don't care about the ideology. I'm just doing my job. Yeah, He's just like, in it yeah. for the paycheck. 
Which there's um, people like that in the Empire too, you know? And so it's and cool to see the broad like, strokes. Yeah, later they met, someone mentions like, oh, did you get that like tailored or something? So he's always just getting his clothes tailored to be like more fashionable or whatever like fascist he's such a weird character yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah but he's, but just, he's living with his mom and getting like berated by his mom daily while he eats his cereal and his blue milk which he hates blue milk <laughs> yeah yeah he's uh yeah so so it's it's just fascinating to see like oh why would someone like feel like they want to give themselves up to this cause and you see more of like on both sides why do people believe in the empire why do people believe in the rebellion and and you get to see more shades of gray with all the sides of the star wars universe which was binary for so long just light and dark light and dark and i love seeing right uh, that there's nuance here even with luthan again um i do too and i think it's because the jedi aren't like a big force in the show so far where so much of the Jedi ideology is like, there's the light side and there's the dark side and there's no crossing between like mm-hmm. they're all good or all bad. And like, what would the Jedi think of what Luthen is doing? They'd have a lot of problems with like the way he's being pragmatic and like having to sacrifice, you know, people for the cause and stuff. You're not even using child soldiers. We're disappointed. <laughs> yeah. The Jedi would rather just stand back and do nothing. <laughs> right, right, right. But it does paint an interesting picture. And I like seeing how Luthan intersects with the upper class of society with, you know, Mon Mothma. And she shows up to his gallery to, like, buy artifacts. But really, that's how they're exchanging information. Do you have the piece? Oh, the price went up. You know, they have all this coded language. And just seeing how he has a foot in both worlds, but ultimately will live in neither because he knows how... He's not going to live to see, you know, the end result of all this work. And Mothma's figuring out maybe she can't stay in her world for much longer either, based on how this is going. So uh, fascinating uh, developments, I think, for the world of Star Wars, as opposed to just Wisa voting emergency powers, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) finally something good. Um, And I think it all comes to a head here if we want to dive into the final arc, kind of the rebellion we learn off screen, just like Cassian, we don't get it. We don't get to see it, but Marva, his, his adopted mother, dies. Um, and then it's like, hey, man, you should stay away. But, you know, Cassian, he's not going to stay away. He wants to come and back everyone's home. Everyone's coming back to, to Ferrix. We have Luthen and the rebels are like, all right, we think Cassian's going to be here. We need to kill him. Uh, because he knows too liability. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have the ISB. They're also trying to, but they're actually trying to get Cassian alive because he's, He's valuable to them alive. But uh, they're less concerned about that than they are with the Krieger operation. So we have a valid excuse for why, like, mm-hmm. why this can all come to Ed. One, they're, they're making it easier for people to land, you know, on the planet. They're re- releasing restrictions to bait them in. Yeah. And then we have an excuse of like, oh, yeah, this is it's not the Empire full force over here. It's not even the ISB like sending all their resources they're they're busy it's mainly right just now. daedra like kind of following that thread while the isb is yeah. like preoccupied with other things yeah we got this whole krieger thing going on we set a trap it was great we got all of them god we're oh, so man, good that at scene our job. is so good we have that scene where they're mm-hmm. talking about mon matha having set up her husband as like oh it's gambling debts where she's talking openly in front of the driver um, yep. who talks to the ISB and they're like, oh, Mon Mothma's husband, he's got gambling debts. And then they get pulled out. And because we're working with real sets, we get to walk down the hallway into the briefing room with beautiful graphics. All the graphics on the screens are amazing oh, yeah. in the show. The Star Wars tech, they leaned into the, the, the old Star Wars tech 
it looks like old Star Wars, but it also looks practical. And they're all yeah. celebrating, you know, the the Krieger operation. That's right. that's one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars, period, I think. It's yeah. wild. Yeah. And we get to see the Yavin 4 again, more of the old Star Wars tech with the, the Rebel base and stuff, too. So um, right. that vibe is certainly there. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But we get Marva's funeral and we find out. So obviously they have the custom of when a you know an important member of the ferric society dies they are basically their ashes are turned into a brick and because their society's all around bricks i guess because they make bricks there on that planet mm-hmm. uh, and then you're put into the wall with your name on it that's like your they your make ships place. and make bricks that's yeah nice. that's there the ferric's economy so we get yep. this big set piece obviously with all the important players uh they're kind of watching for Cassian. Uh, we get a big marching band in the streets, which is just really a really cool uh, scene of this marching band, like slowly marching down people joining them. It's like a new Orleans funeral almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to mention, um, we, we didn't mention this character yet. Uh, Bix, Colleen, yeah. you know, friend. Oh, we potential. didn't talk about the, the horrifying torture. <laughs> no, oh. is willing to subject people to horrifying uh-huh. torture to get information the, the known associates <laughs> of Cass and Andor do not fare well with this, um, uh, no. strong armed investigation. Unfortunately, um, what's his friend's name? Bravo. Uh, Brasso. Brasso. Brasso I think yeah. it's, killed as a result of this no. torture very new no, Brasso's the guy in no, the, that's involved the, in the funeral yeah. oh I'm sorry I'm sorry the, yeah, yeah. But there's another man. guy that I think was killed uh, and we get the story of like oh that the sound that they're using to torture her is the dying cry of this species that was exterminated by the empire and, and all this like yeah, it's yeah. like you hear the, the women and children it's like yeah. fucking horrifying yeah, um, yeah. I, I had just sat down um, uh, highly intoxicated for the midnight release of that episode and I was like oh boy can't wait for my Star Wars <laughs> was just like terrified <laughs> yeah yeah and again this actress uh, Adria Arona she does a great job showing kind of the psychological effects of this. So Cassie, when he shows up, it's not just to kind of be present for his mother's funeral. He's trying to bail yeah. her out of, you know, right. She's Imperial being held jail. prisoner on Ferrix, right. In a hotel. Cause they're just setting up, which I love. We, we, we don't have infrastructure here. Yeah. We're just in yeah, a hotel. Just a converted hotel. That's become Can I a be prison. a prefect, please. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> dude. Yeah, sure. Sure. Why not? Serial's there without clearance with his buddy, you know? Yeah, like, right. they ride that cool little space trolley. <laughs> they yeah. have to take public transport because they have no yeah. resources from the Empire. You love to see it. But yeah, the, the, the ramshackleness of it does ground it in like, it feels like like a like a World War II. Like they've just come in and occupied this city. They don't have like an official government building. So they'll just take over a block with a hotel and then expand from there or do lockdowns. And it feels real. Um, yeah. And they're denying permits or limiting the number of people at the funeral trying to change the time because again they don't respect local customs as we saw um, right. with the heist you know obviously they have a bunch of security there uh they've set up like a perimeter and everything but the marchers kind of it all comes to a head in this town square or whatever and we have a hologram of marva where she's uh gives this great speech about how you know the empire's bad and uh, we should all be fighting it. Right? Evil had, grows. 
leading into that, we've had Nimic's manifesto being mm-hmm. read, which is another thing that could have just been cheese city to me. But like yeah. the score is perfect. You got cool shots of like Luthen looking into the lightning and all this stuff. And it's now, like really touching. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is where it's like, I'm surprised Disney allowed yes. so much of this. I mean, there's it's something wild. to be said, you know, obviously uh, a, a giant corporation like Disney can take the aesthetics of a revolutionary uh, theory and, you know, by putting it in a media project, pro- uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you kind of have to reconcile that in your mind of like, yes, this is a giant corporation putting out this this media project and I'm consuming it. But also, like, there's some really good, like, anti-fascist, like, uh, messaging in this show. And right? one yeah. of our heroes, one of our, or at least winds up with the rebellion that at the beginning of the finale is making a bomb <laughs> to yes. throw at a protest. Yeah. yeah. I, I went to a lot of protests in Los Angeles in 2020 and the image of the non stormtrooper Imperials with their riot shields and then mm-hmm. the actual stormtroopers behind them, much like the police and then the national guard mm-hmm. on kind of these protest lines was really like hit me hard. And again, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like that we're going to portray, you know, like the, you know, the idea of like a protest damaging property is something that in the U S is like, that's a terrible thing to happen. And here we have Disney, the house of mouse Mm -hmm. having a, a literal, like by definition, terrorist, a guy throwing a bomb at a like, public gathering uh as someone who's not portrayed as like the most evil person in the situation <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild representing it as a show. heroic act almost um yeah. yeah it is wild and um you know it reminds me a little bit of black mirror um when daniel kaluuya like does he like revolution he says fuck riding these bikes and then everybody revol- revolts and then they're like we'll just right. pay and you to say end, that every week yeah and he's like all right and he just lives in a penthouse says, fuck this. Yeah, right. right? And like, so it's a little bit like that. You know, capitalism will commodify everything. I did have right. some concerns. I don't want to get too, too deep into the politics, but I had concerns that people will see the let me throw a bomb in a protest and think um, maybe you're doing it for the wrong reason. Or like seeing January 6th imagery with, oh, I'll push the police. Like, you know, so. It's more, I, yeah, it's, it's iffy. I see what it's, you're saying, but I think it's uh, the allusions are more to like the BLM protests in 2020 and that kind of thing yeah. where there or was French revolution. Uh, yeah. DC mentioned. Yeah. There's yeah. that, that image with the cloaks that they're wearing. Like there's definitely mm-hmm. some of that. Yeah. In there and I think uh, Tony Gilroy's even said like, you know, Palestine as was like, you know, the what's going on with, with, you know, Palestine and Israel is like a big, uh, you know, touch point for this show as well. And just like active, you know, rebellions in, in the world. Um, but this is a show and that's for like the record, there, there saying, weren't police at January 6th, hardly. There were, there were yeah. Capitol Police and not National Guard. No, there were plenty like of there uh, instances of right. you know, police cracking down on, on BLM protesters. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Using tear gas, nightsticks and all that stuff. So, so there's um, a, yeah, a clear parallel being drawn. Yes, yeah. 100%. But this show is like explicitly saying like just being kind of a wishy-washy liberal and saying like, oh, we don't want to commit violence or anything. They're saying like, no, that's not far enough. Like you have to actively fight fascism when it grows within your community. Um, but it does show nuts. the, it but it's does show that that's show. enough. Yeah. It does show that that has terrible consequences for the yes. people involved too. Like, I love that when 
they're in the ship to escape. Brasso is just like laid out like, oh, my God. And you're not coming with us. <laughs> like Cassian. Great. Thanks for yes. starting this, man. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah, a yeah. really like cathartic moment with Marva's speech and and the brick, the brick of Brasso. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> And then just seeing like the terrified fascists who were like uh, moments ago, like saying like attack and stuff. And then the guy gets like knocked down and he's like, you know, freaking out. He's like, oh, I could actually die here and stuff like the realization on his face. Like, that's just so well done. Like, man. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think they would have let the uh, hologram go on for quite so long, you know, in, in a real world scenario, because she opens the gate saying basically, fuck these guys. I think they would have yeah. came in there, but they, dramatically, they also they also refrain from firing for a lot longer than I think than I thought would they happen would in, right. in, in our world. <laughs> Maybe but dramatically it works. Catch Cassian and they didn't want yeah, to start they, a bigger They did conflict. have orders uh, yeah. to not, not kill anyone. But yeah. yeah, it's a great moment. You get them all coming together. It's a drums, the, the and man almost acting as, as a war drum of his own kind of setting the tempo for this movement and overthrowing yeah. these assholes and and i love what marva says it's like when we sleep evil grows and then nemec's saying I, I can't sleep and he's writing the manifesto like these great parallels meanwhile cassian is sleeping like a rock because he doesn't give a shit you know right. so <laughs> so like we cannot we need to be awake we need to be vigilant because shit can go wrong and it's it's sometimes like the show a slow burn and you don't realize until you're the frog and it's you're boiled baby exactly um, and yeah. like yeah the slow creep of this fascism where once you realize it's a problem it's already too late you know yep and nobody's talking about it quote unquote and then oh it's, we kept the machines turning and as soon as they left we forgot about them but you know what the evil was growing like all that stuff i really love um yeah. and again for disney to be doing it it's like what <laughs> yeah i i read some rumors that kathleen kennedy is leaving at the sometime around indiana jones five and a small part of me was like i wonder if uh disney was like hey we saw andor how do you let that pass how do you let that season finale get through right um, i'm sure that's not it but we I, thought it was a show no shocked. one would care about yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like they're like sneaking things into the show that like disney didn't know the full extent of what was going to happen maybe or th- certain things that were going to be said but man it's great crazy. finale. I, it felt yeah. like I'm watching like a European like kind of situation again, like the way even the costuming of these weird little hats for, for our revolutionaries it does feel French Revolution, like a similar style little outfit. But then yeah. a bell tower and it's just a dirty, dusty town, you know, and it's like it's no lasers. Like There's lasers, but, you know, spaceships or lightsabers. It's fairly grounded. And it just right. feels like, yeah, like an uprising of, hey, what are they? They're the laborers, right? They're, yeah. you know, workers of the workers of the world unite, you know. Break yeah, Brasso never picks up a gun. He does clock that stormtrooper <laughs> with the brick, which with the brick that is Marva. Marva it's sold so well. It's again the the action is so visceral. Later, he has like a droid arm. I think he's whacking people with. But that yeah. whole sequence is so chaotic, and I still know exactly what's happening. Um, yeah. Like mm-hmm. there's a shot of Luthen later on where he's just kind of looking down, and there's like blaster fire in the distance and the smoke. Um, and like the, mm-hmm. the sense of scale and perspective of that town and what is happening is not lost for me during that finale, which is an right. accomplishment to me. Yeah, there's a lot happening because we have kind of the pursuit of Cassian. Cassian's rescuing Bix. Um, Daedra falls down and Cyril's kind of saving her. We have Sintra taking out that other officer in the closet. Like there's so much moving parts. Yeah, yeah. But it's telegraphed and like explained and shot in a way that's clearly like understandable. Yeah. Yeah. 
do uh, I do appreciate um, uh, our heroes um, not hesitating to kill people <laughs> that is that is uh, a satisfying thing you know in a in a genre or, or rather in star wars where there's constantly speeches and hesitation and instead right. it's like no when cassian has to shoot someone he shoots them and when sent yeah. has to Again, stab no, someone she's gonna mm-hmm. stab no jedi here you know to be yeah. remember han shot second you guys you know yeah. finally get... <laughs> that's right that's right yeah but you know that's set up from the first episode like it's like it's you or me but today it's not going to be me you know, <laughs> yeah, right. And he does that in Rogue One. So, so I, I do like that. Like, we're going to do what needs to be done. Um, yeah. So yeah, after the funeral, awesome. Brasso and some other people are, including Bix, are escaping in a ship. Cassian says, "Hang on, I got to go do a thing. I'll meet you. You know, wherever." He I'll goes and you. meets with Luthen, who he knows is there to kill him. But he's like, "Either kill me or you know, let me join you because I'm bring me I'm on down full the cause time now." Yeah. I'm all in, and, I think. They keep asking him, are you all in, right? Yeah. And he had to go through all of that just to, you know, make the transformation from guy who's kind of just out for himself to now believing in the bigger cause. What do you think? Uh, I was just going to say there's a line in Rogue One where he says, everything, I've done everything for the Rebellion. Everything I've done is for the Rebellion. And this whole show, I've been like, when's he going to start doing stuff for the Rebellion? He's in a lot right. of messed up stuff. When's that going to I've been in this fight since I was six years old. Yeah. Um, It's interesting because this, yeah, this season was all about his transformation into becoming a true believer in the rebellion. Next season is going to take place over like the next four years between the end of this season up until Rogue One. So it's going to be showing more of the kind of creation of the rebellion, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think he get he he gets slowly initiated into kind of the, the, a greater world. He takes his first steps into a, a, a greater, wider world, right? Because um, first, oh hey, do a heist. Eh, maybe if a couple of us work together, we can get one thing done. And then, oh, if more of us work together, now we can overthrow a prison. And like, like it, it kind of grows, seeing the effect, the ripple effect that you know, just believing in something, having hope, as it were. And slowly, he, he kind of realizes, yeah, this is bigger than you and just your survival, and you gotta commit and so by the end he finally commits and we'll see more of that in season two um yeah but Man, what I, a show. We, we didn't even talk about uh just one last thing i wanted to bring up is mm-hmm. i was super excited because colin cantwell passed away recently and they finally paid tribute to him in a star wars show i've got yeah. his uh his the cantwell class that's now dubbed uh destroyer this is a a, a concept art print um wow uh, and so the uh, satellite ship is is the Cantwell class. Yeah, yeah. The, the ship that tries the, the to Luthen. That the Luthen, uh, yeah, dispatches of essentially with his uh, uh, Star Wars squadrons countermeasures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His countermeasures and his meme beams. But how how cool? Yeah, he <laughs> those meme beams are incredible. Yeah, yeah. Although those that, countermeasures yeah. are a specific thing for tractor beam if i'm to believe what i've been reading in the high republic book series they get really into the nitty-gritty of how that works at some point well um, this is something got that a giant is really good sorry uh i just think it's really cool about the show is that a lot of the you know a lot of what tony gilroy was saying in press in the press is like oh this is like different than a lot of star wars I'm not gonna have cameos and stuff all the time but all the details are like super like fits in canon like they just there's a lot of just stuff that's like thrown off as offhand dialogue or just mentioned briefly, but they actually throw in a lot of like canon Easter eggs if you know canon, right? Yeah, yeah. there's he's <laughs> I've read Tony Gilroy talk about the guy he had on staff specifically for that. And what a yeah. blessing it was to just be like, 
he'll tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, like I don't right. need to bother myself with it. But what's different is just it's not like thrown in your face like yeah fucking Luke Skywalker. Like it's just it just feels like it's in that world, but it's not constantly reminding you that it's Star Wars all the time, which is really yeah. Cool. I mean, you right. think if they yeah. have a tractor beam pulling you towards it, just release some magnet bombs or whatever those are, you know, and they'll just get sucked right over. Yeah, why not? That's logical. And with Luthen having money, like he has yeah, a, a, a pirate ship Bond that doesn't ship. suck. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It's cool to but see now he's good. burned it. Now it's burned, you know, right. You can't, mm-hmm. he, that was a last ditch. He can't do that one again. <laughs> like, nope. 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 Or at least got, got to change ships. Yeah. But it was cool to see yeah, a smuggler ship that wasn't a hunk of junk as it were in the Star Wars parlance. And the in dashboard droid, I loved. Uh, mm-hmm. That was super cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we all really like this show. Um, how about we go ahead and jump on over into final thoughts? Uh, maybe do a hyperspace uh, leap into final thoughts on Andor uh, right after this. Movies like us. We're back. We have just rebelled against the Empire, you know, maybe taken out a couple officers. Some of us may have PTSD from a torture mind robot, but we will keep fighting on uh, for you, our listeners. Um, Final thoughts here on Andor. Uh, Real quick, Adam, you alluded to bad laser sounds. Please tell me about those before anything else you kind of want to mention about the show. Um, so one of the things I don't like about the sequel saga is I think the blaster design is lame. I don't think there's anything memorable about it except maybe Ray's pistol, which is old Star Wars concept art. Mm-hmm. The the weapon design, and this is great, Cassian's blaster is oh, yeah. the starting pistol from Dark Forces. Um, there's been other comparisons drawn to Kyle Katarn. It's oh, so yeah. stoked to see that. Yeah. And the, like the, the long clips they've got in guns. I was very disappointed, however. In the 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 heist that we have these space AK forty sevens, they have AK forty sevens. I yeah. wanted those to be projectile weapons, which would have made mm. sense. There are projectile weapons in the Star Wars universe; they're just not they're just used laser they're old and less reliable. Yeah, those, and I think probably the intention was for them to be like projectile weapons at some point. Mm. But beyond that, the laser sounds in that sequence—they're just really weak. There's a point where Nimic is shooting. And it's the same exact laser tone every time he pulls the trigger. It just, the sound design in this show is so good. I was worried that that was going to be the case with all of our action sequences moving forward. It wasn't. It was just that one thing. And obviously, it's a very personal gripe. I haven't heard <laughs> anyone else complain about it. Uh, but yeah, that that was one thing I was going to complain about. Um, yeah, zero, zero out of a, ten, but a terrible show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. never watching it again. Mm-mm. Is there a Wilhelm yeah, screen in this show that I missed? I think the guy getting knocked out of the bell tower might, which <laughs> that <laughs> that was a little it. clunky, <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> But you gotta yeah. have you gotta have one Wilhelm scream in every Star Wars project. That was this. weird. How he literally came up the stairs, did not offend in any way, and just got thrown out a window. <laughs> yeah, and just like that kind guy of is so shocked up from, <laughs> yeah. from hitting the gong all day. He's got fucking huge biceps. Probably that's right. That's I did right. love that guy. Yeah, yeah. Could have fired your laser at him on the way up the stairs. But who am I <laughs> to, to say? Um, but but my final thoughts overall are just um, as far exceeded my expectations. Um, I'm looking forward to season two, but I'm also going to try to be really content with this because I didn't think I would ever get Star Wars that like I love all Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. 
Um, but sometimes that's a little embarrassing or not embarrassing, but not something I want to wave my flag in every crowd and be like, Star Wars is my identity because I'm aware of where it's lacking in storytelling, where, where it's got all these problems. You know, it's, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's a universe that I enjoy and have problems with. This is a show I would tell any stranger this is a great show. You should watch it. Like, you know, like I, I think it is well-crafted. It's really just a well-executed season of television. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just super pleased to have it around. It's probably my favorite Star Wars, uh, anything outside of the original trilogy. Um, and imagine wow. it probably will be for a long time. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's incredibly high praise from a, from a diehard fan as such yeah. yourself. Yeah. I think, I, uh, you know, I agree. I agree with you a lot. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big Star Wars fan, have been since I was a young child. Uh, but that's in, you know, that's who Star Wars is mainly for children. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's meant to be an entertaining thing for children and, you know, young people to enjoy, which I think is great. Like, you know, but to have this one thing that's like, all right, this is more a little more adult. The writing's a little bit. Uh, you know, if I asked, you know, if I told a 12 year old to watch this show, would they get the same enjoyment out of it that I do? Probably not. Probably a lot of it would go over their heads because, you know, 12 year olds aren't that smart. Like I wasn't that smart when I was 12. Uh, but it's <laughs> nice. That, that 12 year old listeners. Get out of here. Of Star Wars for 12 year olds, if that's what you're into. And I think that's great. This is a, it's just a departure from pretty much anything we've ever seen in Star Wars. And I just love that. And, um, obviously I don't want all star Wars to be exactly like this, but I think, you know, just going, trying different things in star Wars, I'm more down for that than just rehashing the same characters and same situations over and over. And again, to compare it, you know, it's inevitable that we would compare this to the other Disney star Wars shows. And I'm a big fan of Mandalorian. I thought book of Boba Fett was a miss and Obi-Wan was a miss, but I wanted Obi-Wan to be good because I like the character of Obi-Wan. Uh, this to me is definitely the strongest. I mean, I love Mandalorian, especially certain episodes are really, really good, but I think overall this show's better. It's, I think I have to agree with you. It's my favorite star Wars outside of the original trilogy. Yeah. I'm going to have to join in on that. Again, I rewatched rogue one for this. I stand by Jyn Erso and Cassian Andor being not good characters. Like in that movie, I, I don't think they're. Well, that I think Cassian Andor was okay. He just didn't have that much to do, and he had to. It's a lot to introduce a character in the same movie that he dies in, and make him a character that you care about. He just seems like a stoic dude who does good work. Like I, I don't yeah. get a sense of his personality, you know, or even his. I think I might be just, biased just because you know. I'm, I'm like a Diego Luna fan. Like I always liked him. Uh, you know, ever since I saw him in this movie called E2 Mama Tambien, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, a Fonzo Curran directed movie that I saw when I was a teenager. And I was like, this guy is a great actor. So I going into Rogue One, I was like, yes, Cassie, like Diego Luna. I love that actor. But you're right. He's not a great character in that movie. But he's incredible do, in this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Do you think it's to his benefit that he's not a charismatic, uh, charismatic character or like really a hero in this show? I, I mean, he's. It's, he does some heroic actions, but he's really kind of muted as a character. He doesn't have big personality traits, and he's trying yeah. to sca- scrape by. He's not a Han Solo. Like, uh, he's not a Han Solo at all. Uh, no, he's kind of like I, a guy that has... He has a sense of honor, but he's not going out of his way to 
help other people. Like he's mainly in it for himself right now. But a lot of people in the galaxy, they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to get by. And I feel like that's what he's doing in the beginning of the show. He sells a lot with just his his facial performance, his eyes and stuff. Like he's able to tell like that quiet desperation and almost like, fuck, like, can we do it? He's not very. Yeah, it's not a very big performance or very charismatic. Harrison. He can look mean. He can look believably intimidating, even as like, uh, you know, not like a intimidating physically. But like when he walks into that camp on Aldani, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, he looks tough enough to like yeah. deal with this like group of people. I guess I think he just, uh, he just projects like a quiet confidence. Yeah. 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 I, I buy, I buy his um, like ability and proficiency. And I also buy kind of his desperation in the moments where you're like, damn the empire, like I've, I'm just a tourist, you know, it's like dog. I, yeah. I know yeah. you are. And this sucks, <laughs> but you know what? Yeah. I, and I like him having to go back and get his gun from the hotel room, sneaking in there. But anyway, I, I love this show. Um, and it just made me think, Again, like I was thinking of our parents' generation, right? And like how big Westerns were on TV, right? Everything was a Western, but you have a lot of different kinds of Westerns. You have Gunsmoke, you have The Rifleman, you have uh, Bonanza, right? Uh, Wagon Train, right? All, they're all set in a Western universe, but they're all different. And right, I think yeah. basically we grew up as kids with Star Wars. Now Disney owns Marvel and this and that. And finally, we can just get, again, different genres within the Star Wars universe. It doesn't have to be... You know, oh, man, I can't wait for the John Wayne cameo and Gunsmoke. I don't know if that ever happened. You know what I mean? Like, we don't right. need that. We, we can just have a universe that's cool and we tell different kinds of stories in it. And I think this is a step in the right direction without leaning so much on fan service. I like that every once in a while. But I think as a, a standalone project, this completely survives by itself without even right. knowing anything about Star Wars. Yeah. And it's really ironic because... This show, as of now, is the least watched of any, you know, Disney Star Wars IP. Uh, it's, and I think part of that is people not being huge fans of Obi Wan and Bobby and Bobby Fett. Uh, Bobby Fett. <laughs> um, Bobby Fett. So ironically, they kind of lost the audience for this by putting out those less than stellar shows. People kind of getting sick of like you were like this, Mike and Colin was like this, where you're like, eh, I don't know if I really want to. You know, I'm taking a break from Disney. I'm taking a break from Star Wars, Marvel. Like, mm-hmm. it's too much right now. Um, but I think if more people just gave the show a chance, you know, it could find its audience. And that's what's really ironic about it. Like, people aren't willing to give the show a chance. But if they do, they'll love it. The show itself is literally the underdog. And, like, yeah. it must fight the mouse, right? And so we need to tell people to watch it. If you haven't but told want, your friends, yeah. Yeah, and I want more people to watch the show because if it... I know they're going to make a season two, but like just to prove that like shows like this can do well and yeah. they should keep making them. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping it's more prone to having a long tail. Um, I've heard some people, yeah. more people talking about it recently. I've uh, heard some people talk about it who aren't huge star Wars fans. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping more of that will happen because it's, yeah. it's the first time the star Wars universe feels like it's getting bigger instead of collapsing in on itself. Like, right. well, look at all these things we learned all these like, Oh wow. The, the ISB, you could have a whole, uh, you know, ISB show. I'm not saying that's right. what you should do, but like any, any, anything else that's been in this universe, it's like, man, how big is it? Is it one solar system with 20 families? Like that's right. it. But, yeah. And I think what's really promising about it is that, yeah, not everyone has seen it or given it a chance yet, but pretty much everyone I've talked to that has seen it has 
liked it and has positive things to say about it. Compare that to the reaction to Obi-Wan. I really, like, again, I really wanted Obi-Wan to be good, but it's just, it was just lackluster to me. And it's just a shame. And it's weird kind of how Disney is allocating these different properties where they're taking, you know, the fan favorite character, Obi-Wan and making this kind of mediocre show and then taking this character that no one really cared about and making this great show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's kind of weird, but everyone I've, everyone I've talked to that's, that's tried it has liked it. I think that's the ultimate sign of like, yeah, this show's good. I mean, everyone likes it. They watch. I this. just hope they didn't cut the season two budget down when those numbers started rolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I no, really, no. really hope season two is, is just as, uh, you know, just as ambitious. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Maybe, maybe it was helped by no one having real expectations for the Andor thing with Obi Wan. You got a, some hope or Boba Fett show, but again, I yeah. do think those are inferior. I mean, for God's sake, we tried to save Obi Wan with our editing skills. You know, like as much as we could, you could only do so much. Um, I, I, you know, I do love Obi Wan. Like there were moments in that that saved it for me. But absolutely, that's the show that like I'm not gonna like you know, wear around my Obi-Wan TV show shirt. <laughs> and like, even down to the no. you know production design that you've said is so good in this show, the action choreography, like it's all just on another level to Obi-Wan. Like in Obi-Wan, we had Princess Leia running away, you know, young child from Princess Flea. Leia running away from Flea. And it's just like the weirdest, like, like who is this for exactly? But uh, yeah, I've, I've been told online um, by articles that, I will never like another Star Wars thing, actually, because I can't fulfill my nostalgia. And, you know, that's all that I'm really trying to do is recapture that feeling of childhood. And so I'm never going to love a Star Wars thing. Um, And it's been so gratifying to watch this and be like, no, I can't. This is I just Mm -hmm. wanted something that was like this. (laughs) This is what I've been craving. Um, yeah, this. people have been accepting kind of mediocre, mediocre things for a long time and just being like, well, at least you were getting Star Wars. You know, mediocre Star Wars is better than no Star Wars, but actually great Star Wars is better than mediocre Star Wars. Turns Go out. Go figure, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I hope we're possible. past good quality things. Yeah. Yeah, I hope we're past the memberberry phase of Star Wars. You know, like, like I, I get it, nostalgia, but this is completely unconnected, you know, more or less. And, yeah, it really soars. So, I mean, I know people who love Star Wars who haven't watched it yet. You know, Chris, Nick, I'm yeah. calling you out. Watch it. You know, it's it's good. <laughs> Call because in. there's such, yeah, they lost so much goodwill with those mediocre shows. Like, I was very hesitant. Luckily, I was so into cyberpunk when I saw the first episode and there was corporate security murder. murder. I'm like, okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, in the cyberpunk uh, genre deals with a lot of the same political themes as well. So. Yeah, yeah, oppression and a system that just needs to be rebelled against because otherwise, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. But I loved it, and I hope, uh, listeners, you let us know if you enjoyed it. Um, also, go ahead and listen to the Cargo Bay uh, final episode. Go listen to Jacob's episodes and all the episodes covering it. Otherwise, Adam, anything you want to plug, where can we find the Cargo Bay and or your other projects? Um. Well, the thecargobaypod.com or Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can just look for The Cargo Bay um, or at The Cargo Bay Pod on social media. And also, we finally have beat the YouTube algorithm. If you type in The Cargo Bay, we should show up on YouTube. Uh, YouTube episodes nice. are unedited. They're a little, you know, sometimes I cut out some dumb things I say for the actual audio version, but the, the, the YouTube versions exist too. Uncut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's more than uh, what I can say for our YouTube channel because there's another 
the normies or something that usually comes up as the first search term for us. I think so. y- y'all are climbing the algorithm too, because I've, I've seen them before and I see them less now. When oh I yeah. That's yep. yeah so. Not those normies, the normies like us. That's what you need to yeah. find. Normies yeah, yeah, like yeah. us or normies are like us. I'm not sure yeah. which, but maybe yeah. both. Porque no los dos. But yeah, thanks for listening. Um, to our Andor episode. Thank you again, Adam, for guessing. Uh, and again, thank you all this so has much. Been, uh, of course. And then we could go around and give our funny names once again. Your host, uh, Me Too Emo. Oh, uh, I'm not used to going second. This is <laughs> Jassy and Jandor. <laughs> Check out and, the Cargo Bay, folks. Great. And I'm Ad Clem. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Normies. We'll Y'all take it. care. And, uh, you know, Got to stay awake. Out. One, One way, way out. out. One way out. One way out. I can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hit stop. My name is Gandalf the Grey, and I'm imploring you to leave a like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Don't keep it secret. Don't keep it safe. Don't take me as a conjurer of cheap tricks, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Normies Like Us. Fly, you fools!